Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Thank you, Mr. Kelly. Welcome back. I barely recognize you. You're so tan. Thank you. Uh, I didn't get as much. We use that. My wife makes me put SPF 50 on. Why is that? Because, you know, she cares. And and it's like, man, I might as well just wear long sleeves. Right. And like a shirt. It was. And, it was and long pants and all those things <laughs> that we have to wear up here. You've been proud of me. I went a week without putting on shoes. Whoa. Just like you. I'm, I'm like you with your sandal. It was the same way. It was wow. great. Yeah. yeah. And I'm impressed. And then I forgot to wear them today. Oh boy. <laughs> I'm gonna pay for that on the way home. Oh, well. uh, yeah, it'll work. Well, welcome back. Thank you. So you did have fun though, even though you had, had a SPF great whatever it yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> I had a great time. Great, good, folks. Welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. You can call three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty with your questions, comments, or concerns. To be honest with you, I woke up this morning eh, a little bit early. But, uh, you know, I looked out the window, everything seemed fine, and then I monkeyed around and did a few things in my office and then came back and looked out the window, and it was snowing. So I was totally caught by surprise. I didn't realize it was supposed to snow today. But Brian Kelly told me if I was listening to Total Information AM, I would know it was going to snow. But I guess, you know, it's the importance of that show. And every Saturday we get together, though, to discuss your yard, landscape, garden, your house plants whether to use a potting mix or how to improve your soil, pruning, bugs, diseases, plant removals, and plant insulation. Remember why words are to open opportunities. After that, it's going to take mental and physical effort on your part to get through, and you never get through, this great marathon called gardening. So there is no sprints. And by the way, this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here And thanks to Greg for producing today. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Uh, Two are currently available at various locations. Revised Missouri Gardener's Guide and Month-by-Month Gardening in Missouri. Revised Missouri Gardener's Guide is pictures and information about, I think it's 165 different plants. And also I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. And during the week, I do landscape consultations. If you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, www.mikemillerdesigns.com. The homepage, that is where my email and phone number are located. So probably better to try to get a hold of me email-wise. There's a gentleman over in Redbud, Illinois, (laughs) that we have been like, it's a ping-pong table. Back and forth and back and forth trying to get a hold of each other uh, phone-wise and... uh, (sighs) I'll try again. But anyway, the, today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. And it steps off right now. Wow. 
Contrasting the whiteness of the falling snow, colors abound, highlighted by firework-like visuals. Where is this? And there's also outer space novas spinning all over the place. This is the St. Louis Science Center's James McDonald Planetarium. That unique shape roof line is just spellbinding when they've got all these colors and all this other stuff spinning around on the top of it. And right in front of it, a brand new 30-foot, I'm guessing 30 feet high, artwork. It's being installed right now. It's, it's basically installed. They just haven't finished everything all the way around the base of it. It's silver metallic, and it almost looks like aluminum foil. What it is is a giant man, and the piece of artwork is called Looking Up. So this sculpture is by Tom Friedman, I believe, and it reflects the colors actually of the roof. And wow, this, I mean, it is nothing could be more perfect than in front of a planetarium having a sculpture of a gentleman looking up at the sky because that's what planetariums are all about. If you'd like to go to the planetarium during the week, Monday through Saturday, uh, there's hours are 9.30 to 4.30. On Sunday, it's 12 to 4.30. There's also in the Science Center and through the whole you know, circumstance, there's the Amazon Vin- Adventure and Journey to the South Pacific, both at the Omnimax Theater. And uh, at the end of, I mean, the, the, I, the architectural quality of the planetarium is really unique. And at the end where it kind of sweeps down to the ground, you're going to see some really neat globular balls that are lighted. And uh, it's just nice. The bike, bike racks sit there waiting like for summer. They say, ooh, it's snowing. And I didn't. I never really paid that much attention to this. I'm sure it's been there for a long time. But there is actually uh, probably a McDonnell Douglas jet um, streaking right on the east side of the building, the parking where you turn around to drop off people. It's among the trees of Forest Park, and a sign also reminds you that the planetarium should be considered a safe place. So if somebody needs a safe place to get to because of other things happening in their life, they can go to the planetarium. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will be back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, if you are heading or you are westbound on I-44, a semi is blocking the left lane of westbound 44 at Merritt's in the Fenton area. So stay away, get around it if you possibly can, or just realize if you see a big backup, that's why it is happening. So if you have any questions or concerns, 314, about your lawn, your landscape, and everything else, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Greg will be answering the phone. And he will take your first name and where you're calling from, and that's about all we need. Let's start off in Lake St. Louis and go into Jane's yard. Hi, Jane. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Hey, I love your show. I've been a faithful listener for years. Well, great. And and today I have a question for you. In January, early January, I bought a box of Lily of the Valley bulbs. Mm-hmm. And I was tempted to plant them Thursday when it got to 80 degrees, but I thought, no, just leave them in the fridge and call Mike on Saturday. (laughs) (laughs) In reality, you probably could have planted them, you know, so there's probably not a problem doing that. But what you can do if you want to go ahead and plant them is just stick them in some pots right now with potting mix. Just let them grow there, and then you can stick them in the ground later on if you want, or you can just hold on to them. The ground is not frozen, so you can work the soil. It's just now with the snow, it's probably wet, 
So you don't want to really work soil when it's wet. So you're just going to have to hold on to them if you're not going to put them in a pot. Well, I was just concerned about planting them, and then they, they start popping up and the foliage getting you know, frozen. No, the ground, the ground temp, you know, any kind of plant growth is really regulated by ground temperature, not air temperature. And one day of, you know, being 80 degrees, you know, the first maybe centimeter or whatever, the top surface of the soil, the temperature may have risen, but the, you know, the, the lily, the valley tubers that you're going to be putting in, you're going to be a little bit lower than that. So that's not going to trigger the growth. Okay. So I can, I can plant them anytime. Pretty much, yeah, just so the ground is not overly wet and so the ground is not frozen. Don't dig in the frozen ground either. Yeah, okay. That's all I needed to know. All right, perfect. Well, thanks. Thank you very much. And, you know, one other thing, uh, 20 years ago, this is not related to plant material or anything else, but 20 years ago during the garden hotline is when I had my epileptic seizure. If uh, longtime listeners may remember that, where Bill Reeker was co-hosting at that time, and all of a sudden, I didn't even know I had epilepsy. And uh, wow, what a time that was. So I continue every year now. It's just once a year I go to the, you know, go to SLU and get my sort of a update on my medication and everything else for my seizure. So that's uh, totally wild times. 20 years ago, 1998. Let's go out to O'Fallon, Missouri and talk with Bob. Bob, how are you today? Uh, very good. Uh, say, Mike, I have a Bradford pear tree that I cut back. I cut about a third off five years ago. I'd like to cut another third off, or not cut a third, but cut it back again. Uh, how late can I do that? If you're cutting it now, then you're cutting all, potentially all the flowers off for this year. So if the flowers are important, you can go ahead and prune it. It's just you're not going to have any flowers this spring. Okay, well, I guess my tree is more important than the flowers. Thank you. (laughs) Sure. So, yeah, I mean, you can certainly prune it during, you know, try to get the pruning done before the new growth begins. And when you make your cuts, try to make them at an angle so it's, uh, you know, any kind of rain and everything else or snow doesn't just sit there and, you know, kind of soak into the heartwood of the open wound. Don't put any seal or anything onto the, you know, the cut. Thank you. Yep, good luck, Bob. And uh, now let's go from O'Fallon out to... Well, we'll come in closer to Chesterfield. That's where John lives. Hi, John. Good morning. How you doing? Very good. Hey, a question about crabgrass preventer and a comment about uh, Japanese beetles. Okay. All right. It's the first time since 1972, since I've had lawns, that I've needed to put crabgrass preventer down. So I've been doing a lot of research, and based on what I've heard you say in past years about it, the timing was critical, but everything I'm reading and especially on the label on the, the product I finally bought, it was saying that you could put that particular product down in the fall and it'll still prevent it in the spring, except for, I'm assuming, nothing else will grow. Um, but uh, I'm thinking that it's better to be early than late. Is that correct? Well, it is to a certain point, but the crabgrass seed is not going to germinate until, like, the forsythia is in bloom, the soil temperature is about 55 degrees or so. So if this product can stay there for six months and be effective, I mean, that's totally wild. I, you know, I don't, I'm not familiar with that particular product. So. It, yeah, it, but it, the, the, uh, the amount of, to uh, dispense per 1,000 square feet is like two and a half times the normal dispenser rate. Right. So maybe the- <laughs> yeah. So don't walk on it with your bare feet. No, I'm, yeah. I'm kidding. So I'm, I'm just, I, I have 
a house here in Chesterfield and a house at Lake of the Ozarks. And right. Lake of the Ozarks is always warmer a week earlier and a week later than here. So I'm aiming at like the 1st of March to put down the preventer at the lake. As I'm assuming if it's, if it's a week or two too early, that won't hurt anything. The only, you know, the only problem is getting it down too early. If we have huge amounts of rain, you know, it's just going to dilute it to, the, to a certain point. I mean, what did the preventer do or what they, you know, they create a chemical barrier on the surface. The seeds are below it, so when the seed of any type germinates, it burns a seed right as it's germinating. But if we get it, you know, if these are slopes or anything else, the you know, I mean, the preventer is not necessarily going to stay where you put it. I mean, as long as you're, you know, you're comfortable with it, yeah, go ahead. But okay. I, again, it's soil temperature. That's what triggers the seed germination of any type or any kind of growth, really. Right. And um, comment about the Japanese beetles, like, uh, like two or three weeks ago, I called about the. I heard a lady call about Japanese beetles at Lake of the Ozarks, so I couldn't help myself to calling back and telling about how bad they were. But the news talked about grubex, and I had never even thought about the idea of trying to kill the grubs before they came out of the ground. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who don't think about that. They just get out the seven and spray them when they're munching on the leaves. Right. So you, if you might want to just bring that up more often, because I don't remember you ever saying that, trying to kill the grubs before they causing the problem. Oh, I do. Uh, you know, I've I, you probably, I've said it plenty of times because there are oh. five different kinds of grubs. One of them happens to be the Japanese beetle grub. And there's really oh. only one grub that does damage to lawns, and that's only the bluegrass lawns. But yeah, I mean, there's milky spore as well as grub X. Milky spore also is, you know, it kills grubs as well. But it's, uh -huh. you know, it, so no, I've, I've mentioned it many, many, many times. Because, oh. you know, once they're out there and trying to kill them, <laughs> it's just, it's totally nuts. Because, okay. I mean, you got to hit them directly with it, and it's... Just, I, you know. Know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> You're probably a Japanese beetle expert as far as killing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and forget the traps. All they do is just make it worse. <laughs> well, I mean, they're, all they're trying to do is, you know... I mean, the arch grounds use them and all that other stuff. The traps are trying to attract the, you know, the males so they don't, you know, make the females pregnant so they don't lay the eggs and all this other stuff. But uh, it's just giving people another option on what, you know, what approach they want to take. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Yep. Thanks, John. And now let's go to Judy in Fenton, Missouri. Hi, Judy. Good morning, Mike. How are you doing? Very good. Okay. My question is, I have um, an island. Uh, it's a turnaround for the car, and it's got overgrowth of trees, saplings more or less. They're, you know, just eighth of an inch, inch in, in diameter. And to kill those, there's a well on that island that, you know, services the house. Mm -hmm. How would you get rid of those saplings? They're, I mean, there are a magnitude of them. Uh, you got a couple choices. You can go out there and dig them or have somebody come and dig and just get there's rid of them many. that way. So, yeah, yeah, true. I mean, that's, okay. you know, that's one of the things. What you can do is just go out and cut, you know, each one off and leave about a foot and cut it at a 45-degree angle, and then take Roundup for killing woody plants and paint it on the cut right after you make the cut. Okay. But, I mean, that's... I was working... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I, that's about the... I mean, those are the two most effective ways to do it. Okay. With a well there, is there a possibility that it may, um, you know, upset the well or pollute it? Well, I mean, that's why I recommended digging them first. 
Because that doesn't do anything at all. The Roundup people are very concerned about it to a certain point. But in theory, I, you know, it's still being sold. It's still out there. And I don't know if it would affect your well water or not. I can't honestly say because I'm not a chemist from a well water okay. standpoint. But I wouldn't be, you know, necessarily overly concerned. That's why I'm what saying don't I- spray the whole thing. Just paint it directly onto the wound from the cut okay. that you've made. So then it'll go down into the root system. Yes, I guess there sh- could be some residual effect from it, but uh, I mean that's kind of the only other option is to dig them. Uh, vinegar is 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 not an option. Not really. I mean okay. it's not going to be effective. I mean there is horticultural vinegar and things like that. It may kill the top growth, but I'm not sure the vinegar is going to actually kill the root systems. So it may slow things down, but my guess is they're still going to come back up. You could try it. Okay, one. One more question, please. Sure. Uh, if you dig them up and just to get rid of all the possibility of roots under the ground, putting cardboard on top, have you ever heard of that, to block out the sunlight? Uh, I don't know. I mean, cardboard would get really wet and would fall apart. I mean, there's landscape well, fabric and things like that, but I think you're trying to find a, an easy solution to a very difficult circumstance, and okay. there isn't any. Oh, I appreciate that. That's what I thought. Thank you so much. Certainly. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a a tough thing. There's no getting around it. I wish there was some kind of, you know, magical answer, but there truly isn't. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments? Wow. Brian Kelly, during the news, said it was light snow. It's pretty heavy snow, I think. It's not covering the roads or hardscapes or anything because they got nice and warmed up the other day. But still, I mean, as you look out, it's like a thick fog way down here downtown off Olive. But anyway, let's go to Smithton, Illinois, and into Carol's yard. Hi, Carol. Good morning, sir. You are a wonderful person. You've been on that radio for quite some time, and I have a point, a question. I don't know if you'll be able to help. Uh, church last Sunday gave us the poinsettias plants, told people, you know, that you could have the poinsettias plants. Sure. And what I'm wondering, I have two, and is there any kind of food to keep them alive? Or what should I do with them? Basically, they're just treat them like a normal house plant. So they need bright light. So they have to be in a south or a southwest window where sunlight's actually coming in the window. You can go, you know, right now at your favorite, wherever you buy your garden supplies, your favorite garden center, and just get a house plant food and just fertilize it about once a month all the way up until uh, September or so. Then you're going to stop feeding. Then you're going to stop watering. You're going to want them to go through a dormant period. And that's about all you have to do. Even if you don't want to do that, though, so you might not get the bracts colored the way you want, you can just treat them like a houseplant like my mother did for years. And she just grew them year-round. She didn't put them in the dark and all that other crazy stuff that people recommend. Right. Well, see, I have, a, I have to be careful where I put them. Right now I have them on the counter next to the kitchen. But... Because I have a cat and a dog at my house. Mm-hmm. I live in a mobile home. And the thing is, they're poison plants. And well, I don't want neither one of them, you know, animal to get a hold of them and try to eat them. 
Well, they probably won't eat them. It's mainly the sap that you have to worry about more so than anything else. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if they chew on them, it's not poisonous to kill. It would just probably, they, I mean, animals are fairly smart, smarter than what we think. So if they bit into something that they thought was, ugh, they'd probably back off from it. But that's not to say it hasn't happened or it doesn't happen. But uh, maybe you should just give them to somebody else if you're concerned. Well, should I ask, just tell them, go to the store that sells the food and just ask them for some kind of food or tell them what I've got? Yeah, yeah. tell them you've got, got poinsettias. It's a tropical plant, so you want a, uh, more or less a fertilizer. You're probably going to get some kind of Scott's fertilizer for, you know, that particular group of plants versus a different, you know, group of plants. It'll come in a box. It's a powder. You mix it up in water and just pour it onto the poinsettia soil. Potting mix. How long did how long do you think if I just leave them, just water them? How, how many days, oh, my goodness, how many days I can I skip watering them? Is there days using skip? Oh, yeah. You definitely don't water them every day because you'll cause root, you know, root problems as far as rotting the roots. So just w- look at the soil. I'm assuming there's still a foil wrap around them. I'm not sure there totally is. Yes, but, but just look down in there, and s- once you see the potting mix start to shrink away from the inside of the pot, so in other words, there's a slight gap, like, you know, a, f- a few millimeters, then water them, and then don't water them again until that gap, you know, returns. That, that gap, gap just means... That gap, gap just okay. means uh, your soil is your potting mix is dehydrating. Okay, I understand. And how long did you say that I might be able to keep them alive? My mother had my mother was not a great plant person. She probably kept hers alive for ten years. Oh my lord! Yes. See, I'm not good at plants either. <laughs> I've had several of them, and my daughter took them, <laughs> and she let them die. <laughs> wow! But okay, well I know. I had a, uh, oh, I can't remember what it was even called. It was a tree and had a plant, and that thing touching my ceiling. Wow. It grew all the way up and touched the ceiling, and my daughter cut it off, and then it kind of died. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, I'd like to keep them as long as I can. Sure. And and they they look real good. I mean, the leaves are real nice and everything still. And that so, all right. Well, I thank you, and you sure you should have a school. Make yourself a school to teach people about plants and everything. Well, I used to teach at the community college here, uh, Merrimack Community College in St. Louis, but uh, I gave that up after ten years or so. But thanks, Carol. Let's go now to Doris, and Doris lives in Afton. Hi, Doris. Hi, Mike. In the spring of the year, I had two sweet gum trees trimmed. In my front yard. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, about midsummer, I got big clumps of weeds. I thought the sun would help the grass a little bit more, but instead I got all the weeds. Now I don't know how to handle it. The yard man who cuts the grass did spray them, but I think they'll be back in the summer, in the spring of this year. So what am I to do? Am I going to have to tear up my whole yard to get rid of all those weeds? Basically, it doesn't really have anything to do with the shade factor or anything else of the sun. The weeds are going to take advantage of any kind of circumstance, depending upon if they were annual weeds, perennial weeds. More than likely, you're going to have the weed circumstance come back again. And I I don't know how big these sweet gums are, but a decent lawn underneath sweet gum trees, even if there's sunlight coming down, is going to be virtually impossible. Impossible to what? To have a good lawn. Oh, 
Well, I mean, I, but how do I get rid of the weeds? Do I have to have the lawn torn up? Or will I, the weed killer take care of that? Uh, weed killer will take care of it, but you're probably going to have to stay on the top of them. You know, again, if they're perennial weeds, annual weeds, you're going to have to maybe have somebody come out and determine what type of weeds they are. But, yeah, you're going to have to continue to go after them probably with an herbicide unless you want to hand dig. Oh, I can't do that. That's too, I'd, I'd love to, but I can't do it anymore. <laughs> so it's going to be an herbicide. An herbicide. Any right. particular kind? It just depends upon the type of weeds. So, I mean, there's broadleaf weed killers. There's, you know, type of weed killers that kill grassy blade-type plants. And there's, again, then there's Roundup, which kills everything. But what you're going to do is have big bare spots where, you know, the Roundup is, where oh. you've applied it and it's killed the plant. So you've got, a you know, kind of a really nasty circumstance. I what you might do, I don't know, again, how big these are. You might consider putting some mulch around you know, a couple feet out from wherever the trunk is, and then go after the weeds in the mulch, start there, and that way at least you're not going to have, let's say, big muddy areas. And if it goes beyond that, then you're, I mean, you're going to have to make a choice. Do you want a, some kind of, like, heavy-duty ground cover, like periwinkle ivy or something like that, or how do you want to go after it? Oh, periwinkle or ivy to, to fill in the, in the grass areas? Right. Oh, Okay. All right. Anything else? Uh, not that I can think of. It's just going to be, it's not oh. going to be done in one year. This is going to be a multiple year, you know, circumstance to get all this under control. I would have been better off not trimming the trees. It uh-huh. wouldn't have made any difference, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, the weed circumstance, maybe they, you know, they did come, more of them exploded because there was more sunlight hitting the ground. But in reality, it's probably not all that much different. Well, I think they look like big clumps of water grass. Uh, could be, probably, it could be an annual bluegrass. Again, you should have somebody that's a professional come out and take a look at it. Any, any particular one? Uh, just, you know, go to, you know, just a long, go to your favorite garden center, ask them what lawn service they would recommend to come out and take a look. All right, I thank you very, very much. Sure. And now, Brian Kelly, is there something... Uh, do you yeah, have a question? we got a we just, question. Yeah, actually, I do. Oh. Uh, how do you grow things in the snow? But we do have some. Uh, on a serious note, we do have some problems out there on the roads. I want to pass along northbound fifty-five at thirty-two hundred North Broadway or South Broadway. I'm sorry, South Broadway. There is an accident in the two left lanes. It looks pretty serious, according to a caller, and it does have a pretty big backup forming now. And so you'll want to uh, be aware of that as you head on up, and you may want to get off early and take Broadway or another way to head. North into downtown because northbound 55, 3200 South Broadway, there's an accident. There was also a report of a ramp closure northbound 270 to Manchester. We might want to watch out there. And uh, southbound 270 to eastbound 70. They list the exit closed here. On the cameras, I couldn't really see anything, hmm. but that's according to MoDOT. And so uh, I guess I would believe them. So, again, it's a little bit slick out there in spots. There are other accidents around 44 at Bowles. Uh, left lanes closed. Here's one eastbound 44 at Bowles. Two left lanes closed. And some others where, you know, lanes are closed. And on a Saturday, it shouldn't be a major problem. But that northbound 55 is one of them that's a real mess. Right. And 3200 Broadway, that's near Anheuser-Busch. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So uh, be aware. Be careful, folks. Okay. Thanks, Brian. And now let's go to Marie. And she lives in South County. Hi, Marie. Hi, thanks so much for your info. I'm fighting the scale again on, on my Uranimus, and um, 
and, and they look kind of bad too uh, from that cold weather. So I didn't know, you know, if if you think they'll survive and and uh, and and what I should do with this sp- with this uh, spray. Is this the time to spray? I, I talked with a nurseryman and he thought it'd be better to wait like till the first of April. But I thought you had said to spray earlier. If you're spraying a dormant oil, you want to spray it basically. This time of year, you don't want to spray it on a day like this. But dorma oil is a horticultural oil that's you know virtually coats your plant material with a very safe oil, but it suffocates the bugs. So that's the best way to get your uh, scale under control. And as far as the foliage that's been burnt by the winter, it's the foliage is brownish or tan or whatever, halfway or all the way. That's not going to come back. That doesn't mean the stem is dead. That just means that foliage has been burnt and it's not going to green back up. Okay. And should I, like, he mentioned something I should spray, but when it's between 40 and 80, but I should spray now? Uh, basically, if you get a dormant oil, uh-huh. that's, I mean, dormant means when the plants are not actively growing, dormant. So okay. that's when it has to be applied. Okay, so, so I should do it now. Right. I mean, obviously you can't do it right now because of you know the crazy weather and everything else, and you don't want to necessarily do it within, let's say, if there's forecast for rain within 28 or 28 hours, 38 hours, 40, you know, anytime really soon. But, yeah, I mean, this is a time of year when the dormant oils are sprayed. Okay. And it, it doesn't make any difference if it, if it gets below freezing or anything? Or no. That doesn't, you know, dormant oil is for dormant plant material. Uh Uh-huh, okay. Okay, very good. So I'll get busy. (laughs) Right, and then if you, let's say you miss it, you don't get the dormant oil sprayed. In the summertime, for scale and other problems, insect eggs and stuff like that, there's actually a summer-weight horticultural oil that you can spray when the plants aren't dormant. Mm -hmm. But the dormant oil is to be sprayed when the plants are dormant. If you spray it when plants are actively growing, you could do some major damage to your plants. Okay. And um, the dormant oil is more effective than the... uh than the uh, summer weight, is that correct? The, well, yeah. I mean, it's just easier to get done, you know applied because I mean, the summer weight oil. If you got the foliage and everything else, you got to spray on the underside of the foliage and everything. So, with if you do, if you're spraying when and with your broadleaf evergreens like your euonymus, you're gonna have to spray any place that you see the scale because it doesn't really just. I mean, you just have to cover virtually all of it any place where there's scale. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, I'll give this give this a try. I've been fighting. I almost almost got rid of it, and it came back with a vengeance last year. So right, there is no almost. You got to get rid of it because mm-hmm. the f- ones that are females are still going to continue to lay eggs. Those eggs are going to hatch. Right. Yeah, I I messed up by skipping a year. <laughs> 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 and and you think the Uranimus will survive? Yeah, it should. It's going to have some burn. You might have to kill off all the brown stuff. I mean, kill off, cut off. Mm-hmm. But, okay. yeah, it should. Very good. Thanks so much. Right. And let's go now to Alton, and that's where Joseph lives. Hi, Joseph. Hey, Mike. How's the show? Good show. Um, <laughs> let's see. I have two questions. One, should I burn off thatch off Zoiza? If you should go to your local fire department and find out if you can legally burn, first of all. That's good. And if you don't do that, then you can't do it, obviously. I don't think there's any place in Missouri that you can legally burn. There are people that kind of sneak and do it. But uh, if you start burning and you cause a problem, 
you know, that's really a disaster. I mean, you can, you know, the burning is something that people historically did way back when, but with the pollution and everything else, it's, you know, it's just problematic. The other option rather than burning is just, you know, setting your mower blade, you know, kind of low, about an inch or so, and just, you know, bagging the clippings and just doing, getting rid of it that way. Because basically all the burning does is get rid of the thatch and the old brown blades that are on your zoysia because the brown blades are not going to green back up. They're going to just be there and... But if you get new growth coming up, where the, when you just mow it and bag your clippings, then the new growth is going to just hide all the brown ones that are, you know, that are going to be short. Short okay. from when, you're, when you mow. I like your advice about calling the fire department first. That's a good idea. But I wouldn't have done it. I did it. I used to do it. with a, Always have a hose ready just in case I got out of hand. Right. But okay, that's a good one. Now, the other thing. We have a fire bush. And this, uh, the last season, boy, it just had some kind of a spiderish uh, webbing growth on it, and it just kind of just killed the thing. It just, uh, but it had red berries at the end of the season, which mm-hmm. was a, uh, so, uh, when's a good time if, if it's, as far as it uh, growing again, I don't know if it's going to grow again, it just looks so nasty over the end of the season, I mean, just, just hardly any green at all. But if the green does come up, when is a good time to prune it back? Prune it before the new growth begins. Prune it before the new growth begins. Right. Okay, good. And what was that spidery uh, uh, a, a bug or something on well, there? Well, it or? could be spider mites. It could be lots of different things. Because it was so dry, spider mites you know, went you know, rampant in you know, a couple different circumstances. So. Okay. And, and, now, the spider mites are really small blades. You can, I mean, it's really small webs, so you can look and see on the Internet if you did have spider mites. It could have just been spiders that were just okay. out there all over the place trying to catch bugs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so you suggest cutting it back. Before the new growth begins, early. right. Outstanding. Okay. Hey, thanks, Mike, very much. Sure, thank you. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. In my own yard, right outside our kitchen window on the north side of our house, kitchen window, blah, 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 other windows, but... You know, we have a pretty good-sized mugo pine. It was there when we moved into the house. The mugo pine candles are starting to elongate. So, in other words, that means, you know, this is a new growth coming out. These are where the new needles are going to be coming. And with any of your pines, for the most part, as that continues to happen, over time, the needles that are closest to the interior part, the main trunk or the trunks or whatever, of your conifer, of your pine, your spruce or something, those older needles, because they're getting less light, they're not going to benefit the plant material at all. They're not going to stay, and they're going to be turning brown. So, Mr. Kelly, again, trouble? Another one I want to tell you about, westbound 64 at McKnight. They just had it closed for a moment. They might still have the right lane reopened, but uh, westbound 64 at McKnight, another spot to watch out. Wow. More in the news coming up. Whoa. So in other words, stay home, folks. It sounds like every highway, 
<laughs> in every direction is totally insane. So my, you know, my apologies. I think I started off the show saying, well, don't worry about the hardscapes because, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, that Mike Miller doesn't know what he is talking about. Let's go to George in Sunset Hills. George, how are you today? Pretty good, Mike. How you doing? Very good. Hey, I, I kind of silly to ask you this question today, but uh, because of the weather, but I have a large uh, patch of ground. Uh, I've had work done, so on and so forth. I was going to go back and begin uh, planting seed and cover it with uh, with straw. Uh, is it too early to do that at, at this point, or should I wait another month, or what? You could put it down, but you know, not knowing what the weather's going to be like or anything else, I think you're just wasting your time, effort, and potentially money. So wait until the forsythia is in bloom, the yellow shrub. That means the ground temperature is getting 55 and above. Interesting. That's when it triggers any kind of weed or lots of germination seed-wise and everything else. If you do it before that, we could have severely... You know, torrential rains, wow. your seed could end up various places. And the straw, just make sure you don't put it too thick because that can cause fungus problems. What I would do is, you know, I don't know if you want to do this, but when you put the seed down, I would cover it with just like a half inch or so of compost versus straw. Oh, interesting. And then, you know, putting a seed starter type fertilizer down at the same time you're seeding would certainly be to the advantage of your seed. Very good. What a great hint. Okay, thank you very much, Mike. Yep. But, I mean, a lot of people will say, and I remember way back when, oh, whenever it snows, throw seed out in the snow. That's crazy because the seed's not going to do anything. And unless your yard is perfectly flat and unless we you know, don't have any torrential rainfalls, the seed may stay right where you want it. But if it's a you know, bare area, this could be just some real trouble. So, yeah, don't, uh, don't do it yet. So thanks, George. And, folks, remember, we do have another hour of the Garden Hotline, so you can get lined up for your questions, concerns, or comments by calling 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Uh, Every month I get a, or actually sometimes more than once a month, University of Missouri sends out an integrated pest management newsletter. And it's not just necessarily related to pests. But this is, you know, the research is, a lot of it is being done at the University of Missouri Agriculture Department. And I think it's, I mean, it's really, really important. One of the things that just came out with one of the articles that they sent is the ideal pH. So in other words, that's the sort of the chemistry of your soil. pH means, is it alkaline, is it salty, or is it acidic like vinegar? The ideal pH for most plant material is acidic. So when somebody comes and says, you should put lime down on your lawn, you should put lime on your vegetable garden, that is not necessarily the case. That's not necessarily true, unless there's been a soil test done. Soil testing and testing pH is very, very important to have the best success with plant material, especially in this screwy place that we live, weather-wise. That makes it very, very difficult for a lot of the plant material. So again, the ideal pH, soil pH, is slightly acidic, 6.0 to 6.5. That's for the, a lot of plant material. Of course, there are some that want it more alkaline. Lilacs want it more alkaline. Clematis vines like, like it a little bit more alkaline. But for the most part, that's not really the case. So just realize that if somebody offers to put lime down on your lawn and they've never taken a soil test, they've never checked the pH, they are just wasting. They could be causing real problems. 
So this is what we we got to stop guessing on this stuff and stop spending our money all over the place and getting nothing but bad results as a re, you know as the sort of the outcome of this situation. So if you do have questions, you can give us a call and Greg will answer the phone. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after the news. The Voice of St. Louis, News Radio 1120, KMOX, KMOX HD, St. Louis, 102.5, KEZK, HD3, St. Louis. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.